podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello there, my name is Miles Jupp, cricket fan, and together with my co-host Mark Wood, actual cricket man, we invite you to listen to Middle Please Umpire, a new cricket podcast containing the two of us banging on and sounding off together about cricket and quite possibly all manner of other things, while lifting the lid on Mark's life as an international cricketer. And as if that wasn't enough, we shall be welcoming some great guests along the way and chatting to them about life on and off the playing field as they spill the beans, drop some truth bombs and see if they can withstand the scrutiny of our brutal interrogations. Middle Please Umpire is available right now from all your favourite podcast providers. Hello and welcome to the Whistleblowers podcast. Uh, it's me, Mark Smith. I'm hosting today. Martin Gritton's with me, though. Hello, Martin. Hello, Mark. Last last time I was on the show, you were driving through central London, and it was really, uh, oh, it was, it was thrilling. Yeah. Absolutely thrilling to be part of. Thanks, mate. Um, you know, I like to keep it interesting, slightly more interesting in my chat sometimes. But, you know, whatever I'm up to, I like to share with our listeners. Well, what are you doing now, then? Uh, I've just in that weird phase between Christmas and New Year where... I don't want to eat, but I must continue to, like some kind of foie gras goose. Um, yes. Just has to keep going because I promised myself to obviously give everything up for January, which won't happen. So that's <laughs> where we are. Yeah, that's where we are. It's uh, it's basically purgatory this part of the year. Sure but um, we're being filled up in a different way, filled up with football. And to talk about that with us is Gareth Dobson, <laughs> as ever. All right, Gareth. Hi. Merry in between Christmas and New Year to you. Mary, yeah, same same to you. Um, we've got a lot to talk about, man. I mean, there's so much. And, and actually, the problem is we're doing a podcast in the middle of it is that whatever we say, we're likely to be wrong and look like dicks in like 24 hours because there's fixtures tonight, there's fixtures tomorrow. It just never ends at the minute. But I think we should start, Gareth, with your team, Tottenham. Um, it's been a weird few weeks, hasn't it? In fact, it felt like for a few clubs in the last week or so, that their title bids have already come to an end. It seems like everybody's title bid has come to an end, implausibly. Uh, but Spurs are probably the one that I'd put at the head of that queue. Uh, how do you rate the last few weeks? Where do you see it going from now? Are you a contender, genuinely? Talk to me about it. Uh, I, I think Spurs are in contention to be one of the clubs that finished behind Liverpool. Um, and I, I don't mean that in a in a sort of you know particularly wry or or hilarious manner. I, I I just think that Liverpool are going to cruise this. They they've hit they've hit peak form, and everyone else is sort of stumbling behind them. It's hard. Like two weeks ago, we were lamenting Everton's form, and suddenly mm-hmm. they're in the top three after stringing together a couple of wins. And Manchester United, you know, I know we talk about them adding for Knighton, but you know they've got a, a game in hand, and you know they're they're sitting pretty. And I, I think you know Spurs are probably the biggest loser of the last month. They haven't won any of their last four games and all of those, they were in position to win um, yeah. at various points within each game. And um, it's, it's the, it's the usual troubles they have, which is they can't hang on to a lead or, you know, maybe the bigger issues is that they, they don't understand that they probably don't have the ability to hang on to a lead and they, they should probably try and go and score another goal or two. Yeah. Is that, is that an issue already? Do you think is that, is the Mourinho negativity, um, is that already coming to fruition? Are you seeing that already? Because we, we had the honeymoon period, didn't we, with Jose, where we, we, everyone loves that, Jose. Everyone loves that. 
But now yeah. I feel like there's been a definite turning point and there's there's quite a bit of negativity just about the way they're playing. And even when when winning, it wasn't hasn't been great for a little while. And now it feels like they he, feels like he's intentionally playing to make sure Son and Kane, and Kane aren't aren't playing to their strengths. Yeah, Obviously, it's... that's not the truth, but it seems like that. It's almost like he got annoyed of everyone asking him so many questions about are they the best strikers he's ever had? And he's like, well, I'll show you how good they are. Let's see how good they are when they have one shot on goal each week. But yeah, it's, it, it suck that, idiots. <laughs> you fools. Um, it, it's strange because, you know, Spurs obviously, you know, their, their best part of their team is still their, their attacking play. They are not a solid defensive team. The one thing I did see which which might mitigate some of the criticisms from Reno is that they Spurs still have essentially the best defensive record from open play. Um, and what is undoing them are uh, a combination of own goals and goals from set pieces, which is something that Mourinho will feel that, you know, he has coached properly and it's just the individual players that are letting him down. The yeah, counter yeah. to that is obviously, well, if you, if you realize that your players are going to let you down and deadly anyone's available to you, then maybe your tactics are wrong. You know, if Spurs, can't uh you know stop goals from corners and and free kicks and so forth then you probably yeah. do need to score a couple more than than you are but it's yeah i i don't know if it's going to have a negative impact because you know we see what happens when a team wins a couple of games you know spurs have got a very winnable run of fixtures you know they've just come out of you know six very tough games by and large you know i think their quote-unquote easiest fixture was against crystal palace who we know are, are no mug so i think if they win the next couple of games, they've got Leeds and Fulham, then it might all change around. But I, I do think that for them, in terms of the title, the opportunity's gone. They needed to probably win two or three of the last four that they've they've basically drawn them or, or lost a couple. And, yeah. and, and the opportunity's gone now, I think. Okay, Grits, do you agree that the, the title challenge is gone? And more importantly, from my point of view, do you think that they are boring to watch? Oh, I mean, there's what, six points behind Liverpool at the minute, which in the grand scheme of things, uh, can't put them out of it. Um, I know it's this always this the ebb and flow with Tottenham. The, there's an underlying feeling that people have about them being, you know, oh my God, they're unstoppable or at the minute where they can't score. Interestingly, the teams around them seem to know how to score goals from other players. You know, basically, I mean, I know yeah. Man United are quite relying on Fernandes, but when Martial stepped up or Rashford stepped up or just, you know, even Pogba has stepped up against West Ham. Cavani or whoever, yeah. Yeah, but Leicester, you know, bringing Madison back in, that... I don't. You just don't see that from uh, from the Spurs fringe. I know that they've had injuries, uh, Gareth, haven't they? That it's probably impacted that. But the pressure is now on players like Deli Ali coming from the cold. You've got. I mean, Bergwijn owes them something. You know, it's like there's players there that that should have contributed more, and maybe that's because of the way Jose plays and the fact that Son and Kane were like, right, we'll just get on with it and do it our way, which is yeah. quite easy to. It's quite easy to nullify at the Premier Definitely. League level. It's like don't play a high line. Don't play. Don't try and play the offside trap against these guys. Just compensate, and you know what? We'll stuff them out. Yeah. You'd have thought not playing to the strengths of two of the best strikers in world football would would <laughs> would get you some sort of results. You know what? I remember when uh, Louis Van Gaal was uh, manager at Man United, and I remember in in, in certain post game press conferences, he'd always talk about getting the goal. Oh, we got the goal, but or we're looking yes. to get the goal, as if you're only allowed to score one goal a game. It feels a bit like that with Jose at the minute. Like he's happy to score, and then that's it. He'll score. He's done. Game's his bit. finished. That's it. And yeah. we saw it. We saw it in the Wolves game. I mean, they scored very early on in that game. And, and actually, as a neutral, the worst thing that I want in in a game of football with a Jose team is an early Jose goal. 
I don't yeah. want to see it because I know what's going to. I know what's coming next. I know that Spurs aren't going to break the next to try and score a second or a third, uh, and it's just it's just difficult to watch. And actually, a, a Wolf side that haven't been haven't been great this season. They've been quite pragmatic and they've switched to this back four rather than a, a three or five, however you want to read it. But they haven't been great. But I thought they showed some real resolve and some real grit and some quality in that game. Well, it's so interesting. I, I think, oh, sorry, yeah. No, no, I was just going to say it's interesting you say that. They're, they're, there's 10 11th West Ham Wolves. They're the two teams that I think that you can never be comfortable against. They'll always, they seem to be able to find a, an extra gear this year. Southampton as well. Um, perhaps you look further down, Leeds and Palace. Sometimes when you stick the boot in those two, they don't really come back. Um, and, I, and, I, and I think, you know, there's other teams guilty of that. I don't think Newcastle really can find a way back in. I don't think Burnley are great at it. I mean, I'm going off the top of my head here rather than historical evidence, but just my sense when I watch those teams, you look further up the table and Man United are never dead. Villa, Villa don't give up ever oh, and find Villa. a way to beat you Leicester I could do a whole podcast on Villa do you know what so there's such good teams to watch and I, you know, I love that I think Chelsea are the ones that, that should hang their heads in shame at the minute Again, yes we've, we've spoken ex- extensively on this haven't we about some of their players and keep shuffling the pack but what's Frank saying now yeah it's I, I do wonder about Chelsea the reports came out the other day that uh, you know um, Roman is not happy with the current run of form and that if, uh, you know, if Chelsea failed to get a result against Villa, which they did with a draw the other night, then he would be having words. I, I don't know how literal that is. I don't think Roman really has words so much as in the middle of the night, you just, uh, you get the knife. But um, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, but I think a lot of criticism has to come down to Lampard for that. I don't think he's adapted his attacking tactics. It for for a team that is absolutely stuffed to the gills with amazing attacking talents, it seems like a very fairly sort of dismal attacking play. You know, it's very much get it wide, get crosses into the big man, you know, and he rotates Giroud and 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 uh, uh Tamri Abrahams and you know, I think teams have kind of worked that out and they, you yes. know, they play deep and they they, you know, they spread their back four or five across to to stop that happening. And it's you know, in Chelsea are not as boring to, as Spurs to watch, but they're probably as frustrating right now. Yeah, no, they're exciting to watch because you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, it's it's not it's not good to watch a Chelsea game at the moment. You you don't know what's happening. You don't know if they have decided that they can or can't defend that week. Um, I mean, I will say that I think one of the most improved players, or certainly one of the best players they've had, is Mason Mount, who has made himself completely undroppable. Um, but that's him slotting into a sort of midfield two rather than this attacking, expressive midfielder. But he looks fantastic. But everyone around him seems to have either gone off the boil or just completely fallen apart. I mean, I, I think it's probably, in terms of Spurs and Chelsea, clubs of a similar stature, clubs of similar ambitions at the moment, um, I think it's been a good time for Spurs to drop points because Chelsea have done the same and Chelsea have done it more spectacularly. I mean, since their, since their home win against Leeds, they've lost at Everton, lost at Wolves, beat West Ham, but were really, they probably shouldn't have even got a win at all. That let alone three nil. I think a draw would have been fair or a West Ham win. Funnily enough, then they were awful against Arsenal and they weren't much better against Villa. Granted, Villa were a very good side, particularly away from home, but, I think at the minute Chelsea are in trouble. And I mean, when you see big websites like BBC Sport talking about, you know, he's only got a couple of, he's only a couple of losses away from it becoming a full-blown yeah. meltdown. Then you start thinking, oh, actually, because let's not forget Lampard's someone who's had quite a lot of, um, he's had a lot of leeway from the press because he's always given the media 
attention. As a player, he'd always give him interviews. As a manager, the same. Very media-friendly. And therefore, the media pay it back by being nice to him. So if they're now going to start going for him, you know he's in a bad situation. Yeah, so I'd be a bit worried if I was them. Yeah, definitely. They're throwing them, throwing the players under the bus, which everyone kind of latched onto. Interestingly, again, Miguel Delaney, a friend of the pod, he was talking about like the, these sort of modern squads are fragile. They just don't, they just can't tolerate that. And whether it's yes. whether anyone's strong enough in the dressing room to to step up to him, I'd say it's more. It's interesting when you watch them last night. You see the the older statesmen, Aspilicueta and Giroud, are brilliant, and you're like. Those are the players that win your leagues, you know, and you feel t- you feel like Chilwell. I mean, I, I think he's a great player. Same with uh, Reese right back, um, Reese James. I just Reece think James, those, yeah. those guys. You, you expect fullbacks to play. Oh yeah, they'll play fifty games, rattle it out. It's like no, these are young guys that are coming in. Also, Chilwell just adapting. I mean, you need to like, protect them a little bit. And I think there's a few like, young lads in that team, particularly the ones up front that don't know what they're doing. Because they're, they're being played out of position, but more oh, so the, the ones that you know, the ones, yeah, <laughs> more so the ones in defence. That just like it's relentless. They're playing against brilliant teams, and we've seen it. We've seen it. I'm down the league. I mean, I'm sure we got. We'll come on to more teams that are suffering from the same. Yeah, oh, but you're sorry, right. I mean, there there, there are not many. There are not many teams who don't have some sort of potency going forward. You know, when when it's the Premier League, with the exception of maybe Sheffield United who I talk about every week on the show, with the exception of them, every team has got someone who can do damage. So you can't you can't afford any lapses in concentration. You can't afford to have players playing at 95%, let alone 75%, as we've seen Chelsea in the last few weeks. Yeah, definitely. Gareth, sorry. No, sorry. You. I just want to say that, uh, as well as Mason Mount, uh, I think probably their best other player in, uh, this year has been, has been Kante, who has kind of really got back to his best form from a couple of years ago, you know, he's obviously, he had these lingering injuries and he kept trying to play through them. And then, you know, he, he would go and play international football in the summer and he's finally had a break and he, he looks absolutely fantastic. And I mean, if you want to be mean to Lampard, you say, you know, with, with someone like Kante and pairing him with Mount, then how, how hard can it be to forget the rest of the team going? Yeah, yeah you'd, have, you'd have thought it'd be straightforward, but it's, it's really not. Uh, right, I want to move on because, um, okay, we think Chelsea's, title bid might have fallen by the wayside we think the same about Spurs um, it looked like it was all set up for Liverpool to go and extend their lead and make it completely a one horse oh, race and yes. then all of a sudden what happens Big Sam happens that's what I want to see I want to see Big Sam in the league I want to see Big Sam doing his thing and that's what we got we got an absolute classic beautiful Big Sam performance didn't we Gareth Oh, it's magnificent! Yeah, you know, for fans of, uh, of of Sam Allardyce entirely, and even better was when he, uh, you know, he goes and lays one on uh, Klopp after say <laughs> the difference between Klopp and I is that you know I could do what he does with those with his Liverpool players, he can't do what I can do with the West Brom lads, and Amazing. it's everything you want from. <laughs> From a sort of lovely tabloid friendly quote, you know, something that gets the Sky Sports news ticker reeling along in a frenzy. Um, but it's it's remarkable. I have my doubts. I mean, it's only one game, obviously, so we'll have to see how it progresses. But the you know, West Brom are a dour team by reputation, not by the current squad and not by how they were playing. They, I, I, I did wonder whether Sam was actually the right player to come in, a uh, right manager to come in because they're a, you know, a fairly technical, gifted, free-flowing team. Um, and immediately, you know, Sam sort of battened down the hatches. Uh, he, he benched uh, Mattis Pereira. Pereira. Which, uh, get him out. Get him out. He's no get good. Get him out. I mean, it's, again, if we're, if we're going to be fair to Allardyce, he, he's always made room for that one gifted player. You, know, you talk about the jaw yeah, yeah. 
yeah. culture and so forth. So I suspect he'll find a role. But early on, you know, he obviously looks at Liverpool and he's like, we don't have time to work out yeah. what yeah. Pereira does yet. Maybe we'll do that in a couple of weeks. But we're going to go straight in with the Hardy, you know, was it a 7-3-0 formation? And, uh, and then, you know, bang goes and gets the, uh, gets the late isn't it, it's everything you want. It's, it's always so funny when a, a team goes and does that to a team like Liverpool or Man United or Arsenal or whatever. <laughs> and people seem to be furious that a team with less talented individuals didn't turn up and play <laughs> yes. to the exact way that, that Klopp or whoever would want. But of course you don't play like that. You play pragmatic football, you get the job done, and actually they could have won that game. They didn't get a lucky last-minute equaliser. They they deserved something from that game. As Klopp said, they deserved something from it. They deserved a point. Look, Big Listen. Sam will always get will always get beaten with the stick of, you know, like we just said there, 7-3-0 formation or whatever. But actually, I think he does get a bit of a bad rep, and I think he has, in his career, shown himself to be one of the most progressive managers that we've seen in this country, given the technology that he was happy to uh, happy to take on, things like ProZone, things like sitting in the stands and phoning down to the to the coach on the side, all those sorts of things. Overseas players who looked like they were finished and given one last one last go. And I think he's, there's a lot to be said for Big Sam on what he's done. You don't become the manager by being a poor manager. And mm. I really, really hope that he can do the business at West Brom again. I'm not saying they're going to stay up, but I definitely think they've got a better chance than they did have. Well, listen, you talk about the, the progression um, in terms of fitness, in terms of analytics, in terms of you know all the things that he yeah, brought yeah. in. This psychology is the most interesting thing because at Liverpool, he basically frustrated Liverpool till they started in fighting. So they, all these little things, there's loads of like subtext going on in that Liverpool team at the minute when when Mane got dragged when they were beat when they beat Palace seven 0 he takes off Mane for Salah. And Salah, and he, I remember when, when I was playing, you're playing well, and he's brought me off to rest, and you're like, no, no, this is absolute cannon fodder. I could get Patrick here. I could, I could actually score some goals. And Mane then gets a bit peeved at coming off, and then Salah comes on and steals the show. And then you're like, okay. And then Mane, so I knew Mane was going to come out the blocks against them, and he did, but then he missed a couple of chances. And then it was kind of, this Liverpool team got frustrated. And what Sam did was, he went, hang on a minute, we can get these now. He waited till yeah. half time. Put yeah. one up front, Grant up front, then went at them, and then was like, "Do you know what? Liverpool are so bogged down in the psychology that we can't do this." That you know, it was brilliant, and that, and you're absolutely right. There's the big Samism. I love the fact that he's kept the same eleven tonight. I know what it's like. He's like, "Come on, lads, <laughs> let's win that dressing." And the only interesting thing is the again the other most progressive coach, Bielsa. He's done exactly the same thing. He's like, "Come on, it's so old school." It's like we'll do it again, and basically it gives him carte blanche to drop whoever he wants next game for not doing it yeah, after playing yeah, two games yeah. in three days but listen I, I've he got all the doing. time in the world and do you know what and Klopp Klopp's got a few tricky ones on his hands I mean they all uh, interestingly I listened to the whole coverage on in the car on the way back um, on BBC and the radio coverage is very very different they just sat there and slagged off bit, well slagged off West Brom for just not being it's like this is what they have to do and almost Ridiculous. made a joke out of them and I was like don't make a joke out of it because interestingly all the coverage since has been Klopp's failure and I'm like well I also but you know we're forgetting all this is Bilic Bilic that's Bilic's squad you know and that guy he drew against City he you know he's, he's got yeah, points right. against big teams and you feel yeah, yeah. you got to feel sorry for him because I reckon Bilic listen as a Celtic fan if we got Slavin Bilic up there I'd be absolutely over the moon I want him at Derby mate I want him at Derby we can oh, fight play. no listen I'd, I want him to see, get, see him get a good job and do well but I wanted Big Sam but he's broken my heart again. <laughs> I love Big Sam. <laughs> um, I did a I did a talk sport breakfast show with him a couple of years ago, and he was honestly the most charming man. He was he was so sound, 
and yeah. so interesting to talk to about football. I, oh God, Big Sam! You. I would, yeah. I would kill a man on Big Sam's word. <laughs> kill you. <laughs> anyway, that's we'll a, good time a to, yeah. good time to take a break. <laughs> After the break, we'll talk about uh, Man United. We'll also talk about what I think is the worst refereeing performance I've seen for quite a long time. Uh, see you in a minute. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct... Something that's less Mr. Bean and more Steve McQueen. Check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Welcome back to the Whistleblowers podcast. Um, I think we should probably talk about other teams who are probably still contenders. I mean... Liverpool drop points, so anything can happen in this league. Uh, we're recording this before a round of fixtures tonight, which sees Manchester United play at home to Wolves. Um, I think they've, they've got to be a contender now. I think along with Man City, you've got to look at United as being a contender. How far that that goes this season, it, they might be done in a week. But as, we, as it now stands, United have got to be seen as that, haven't they, Gareth? Uh, yes, uh, as much as uh, anyone is going to challenge uh, Liverpool, then, then absolutely, why not Manchester United? They they have the squad and the personnel to to win pretty much any game in front of them. They, you know, I don't think they're consistent enough, and they're they're going to drop drop the proverbial at any given moment. You know, for example, against Leicester, mm. when you know twice they they took the lead and twice they they get pegged back, but they have. You know, a brilliant assortment of players, and I, I think you know if people like Von, Donny Van der Beek can come, uh, can sort of progress over the season. You know, maybe maybe after a sort of a you know a winter period and sort of come good, then they could be you know real contenders. I think Tellez is yes. a really fine fullback. Obviously, Solskjaer still likes Luke Shaw, and he, he's quite content to rotate them. And what was encouraging for me is as a fan of uh, chiselled Adonises is that. Um, in the press uh, yesterday, uh, <laughs> Solskjaer said that he expects Cavani to start more games than he doesn't going forward, um, which is really exciting because I think, you know, Manchester United with a proper number nine and also, you know, a number nine with, you know, a lot of skill and talent. He's not, he's not, you know, a big whammy in those cheekbones and those cheekbones and that hair and oh my goodness, I'm overcome. <laughs> well listen I mean you, you said a minute ago United are inconsistent and I understand what you're saying however I watched uh, I looked at a, 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 a table earlier today this is what I do now um, and it was a table of um, games played since Bruno signed for United if United win tonight against Wolves they will have taken more points from the previous 28 games than anyone else in the league Yes, that and to I, me is pretty consistent. It's ahead of Liverpool with a better I, goal difference I than Liverpool. Down my 2020 trophy, Premier League trophy, which <laughs> needs more to the best <laughs> team over a single calendar. No, yeah, it, no, of course, it's, but, it's but really it's a barometer, fair. isn't it? Yeah, it's 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 a really you know fair point to make because you know the last year is has has been uh, they have been 
very good accumulating points. But actually, maybe what I should clarify is Manchester United are too inconsistent over 90 minutes. Yes. I think, you know, if they stopped giving teams head start, then they might actually be legitimate contenders rather than just the best of the rest. And I also think that they have been guilty of missing some of the absolute best chances I've seen all season, which has led to them going out of Europe. I mean, I'm sure you remember the Martial miss at home to PSG. If he scores that, they don't get out of Europe. If Rashford scores that header in the first couple of minutes against Leicester, and it's a header, by the way, which you absolutely, there's no excuses for missing those. If he scores that, they probably win that game. Now, we always know that with football. You take your chances. You have to take your chances when they're that good. I've got no sympathy for teams that miss chances of that quality, though. That is on another planet in terms of... Um, you, you yeah. just, well, I can't get my head around it. I can't get my head around it. Grits, talk me through it. I understand how you can miss a chance, but missing a chance like that is, is critical, isn't it? All right, let's flip it. Would you ever see Lewandowski miss that chance? Would you see Ronaldo miss that chance? Would you see Messi? No. They it's wouldn't exactly miss those chances. So the quality, the difference is that, yeah. and it's terrifying the quality those players have to do that. And and um, interestingly, when I've you know, some of our best best teammates I've ever played with, but they come from big clubs, and you'd ask them about players, you'd say, I remember Paul McGregor because I was a Celtic fan. I was like, what was Van Oy don't like in training? He was like, he was terrifying. He'd do like twenty free kicks after, and he'd put nineteen of them in the top corner and the 20th at the bar and he'd get the balls and start again you know these guys that just had this and that he's you know that's Van Oeyrock I mean but you you know you hear how hard the canyon worked and you you know you see yeah. the quality of these players and you can only imagine how good they must be and even Defoe I mean you know guys that play with him he's a killer. Like going bottom side nets every time side net just knows how to finish in that, yeah, that just to reiterate I'm not saying just I'm not saying oh, that footballers you know, can't miss chances everyone misses Messi's missed great chances ruthlessness. I'm saying when Correct. it's essentially an open goal you, you, you can't afford to do it and look Rashford I love Rashford he's one of the best players in the country certainly one of the best young players in the country maybe the best one of the best in the world uh, that, that sort of age group yep but he has to find that killer instinct because you wouldn't see, like you say, you wouldn't see any of those names miss those chances. And, you know, United go one up in the first couple of minutes. Leicester are now chasing them, and that's when United thrive. Okay, they scored later on, a good goal from Rashford. So it was, you know, still 1-0 to United at a point in the game. But that can settle aside so early an early goal. Yeah. Um, and that's that's just the difference at the minute. But that's still that can come, you know. Well, that can funny. still come. He's still young. Funny, funny. I would put I would put Vardy in the ruthless category. Obviously, in every way, I mean, he looks like a ruthless person when you if you passed him on the street. But on a football pitch, he's he's terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. Gareth, any any names you want to chuck in there for ruthless? No, but I actually I do have a question uh, regarding that for for Grace. Uh, So with Rashford. Do you, when you see him play, when you see him finish, do you see him as a stone cold killer yet? Because he is one of those ones that when he goes clean through and go, I'm like, yeah, 50 50. Uh, Marshall, I, I think, is a step below that. I think he's just too erratic. But I yeah. was hoping that as, as much as we, you know, we love Rash and he's a very good player and incredibly talented, I, I think that's the last bit of his game which is, is still lacking. Yeah, I think that the interesting thing about Rashford is he has the power. So his um, dead ball. And when he's through and he commits to the shot, he might miss it, but it goes like a rocket. You know what I mean? He'll put his foot yeah, through. Yeah. When you when you look at some players that are canny, some of the great strikers that come through the Premier League that are kind of, I don't know, the fact they put together a few good seasons or they, they look good but because they're clever. I don't know if they've been as technically gifted as, as Marcus. He always looks as if he's been coached perfectly. And I think that ruthlessness is, a, is something that hopefully that you kind of sometimes develop as a player, you know, I, I certainly, it's certainly something that you can gain. I don't think you can give players 
the talent that he's got. Um, I don't. I, I certainly don't think you can you can work harder and be better to the level he's good at. But I think he can learn how to be ruthless. Actually, he, he uh, to, do you know? Oh, sorry. Go on, Gareth. No, uh, I was thinking one I would throw in, and even though he's a player whose reputation is as a goal scorer, he probably doesn't get enough credit. I I think that Vardy is maybe the most sure thing finisher in the Premier League right now. Like yeah. whenever he goes through on goal, you just go, "Well, he's 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 going to score here." Yeah, yeah. I, I would say um, with regards to Rashford, um, he doesn't need to look too far to see someone who should be the warning in terms of not being a killer in front of goal. And I'm looking at Raheem Sterling. And that sounds a bit mad because Sterling's someone who scores a lot of goals every season. But he's still, he's he's not quite there, is he, with his finishing? He doesn't look like yeah. he's a natural finisher. He's worked really hard at it. He's got better at it. But And this has nothing to do with the miss against Leon in the Champions League. You know, I'm, I'm part of it. But he's always been someone who I don't trust going through one-on-one. And Rashford <laughs> needs to make sure that he doesn't become that. I don't think he is that. I think he's a better finisher than, than, uh, than Sterling. But... It's it's a part of Sterling's game that he needs to get better and, and get better pretty quickly because he's he's no longer 21, 22. He's now you know a fully fledged international and a key part of the England side, key part of the Man City side. He needs to sort of step it up a little bit. And Rashford needs to make sure he doesn't slip into that uh, that yeah. trap. He, Sterling's hard to read going through because what you don't know what he's going to do, and he will find that extra foot and he squeezes balls under people. So he squeezes balls yeah. under goalkeepers or does little clips over. Whereas Rashford, I say, he's quite emphatically, he'll power finish. Interestingly, comparing, comparing him to Aguero, who up to up to Vardy, that comment, Gareth, Aguero is unerring, terrifying. And his shot-to-goal ratio mm. is, is, is as good as anyone in Europe and just has that ability where you're like, this is a goal. And he adds power to every, you know, power to the finish. It's, um, yeah. Who's your favourite ever, Martin? If you're going to pick one player to go clean through, he's playing for your club, he's going clean through, who are you picking? That's a great question. I don't think, I'm Alan Shearer, Ian Wright. I just, and that was my era, watching those, but I could not get my head around how good they were. And they were very different strikers, but they both had this, they were both incredible. I mean, Henri, Henri as well, uh, just would find a way, but he was a confidence. He was a guy that grew into the fact that everyone expected him to score against them, whereas Shearer and Wright, I just thought were a different class. Gareth, I don't know if you get any throughout your favourites growing up. Uh, famous Sheridan was a favourite. He he was a superb finisher. But actually, I, I do think what you just said that that three or four year period where Omri was probably the best striker in the world. When you know every time he had a chance, that well he scored and and he yeah. did. You know there was yeah that that prime Wenger period where he just he just seemed horrifyingly. And hard. you knew what he was going to do, didn't you? But he'd always still do it. Open his body <laughs> up and roll it to that corner, and he did it every time, and it was impossible to stop. He did. Um, I, I'm going to throw in a name here. Uh, I'm going to Michael oh, sorry, Owen. Mark. Who is yours? Early, yeah. early Michael Owen. That's a that's a great early Michael Owen. It, 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 just the pace at which he did everything, it just Absolutely. made everything t- ten times easier for him, didn't it? They were just yeah. Uh, yeah. he was he was a few steps ahead of whatever was in front of him. What was uh, your yes, right. uh, your oh, best sorry, period, Chris? What was your, uh, my lucrative the lucrative season at Torquay United. Yeah, I, I went through. I didn't score for about ten games, and then I scored like eleven and ten. Um, at an important time when I turned into Leroy and I was like going I can't believe you haven't dropped me yet and he was like well there's no one else to play so <laughs> and, te- and that was his equivalent of putting an arm around me and I think it was some weird he was just, he was just quite he was quite fatherly about it he was like don't worry about it he goes it's, you, you know we've got guys all scoring from all over the team and you, blah 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 and I just stopped worrying and then after that point 
have the goal look bigger and I had seemed to have more time and more relaxed. When when you oh, so when they, they changed the goals for you, did they? Yeah, they, this is it. <laughs> <laughs> it. No, that was it, mate. Yeah, I was just you know I was wearing my boots were too small, but yeah, there you go. It was it was a lucrative time for me, but then I you know. I didn't have many of those spells uh, since leaving non-league. Non-league, everything was a little bit easier. I mean, you know, you see Vardy. I just imagine what Vardy was like when he was playing for, I don't know, Sheffield Steel Mill or whatever. Was that team Bradford Park Avenue? He was at some team that was just terrifying. I wouldn't imagine playing them on a Sunday. On those heavy pitches. Oh, man. Just taking, just taking absolute... And rubbing it in. Challenges. I love it. I love Vardy. Uh, right, let's move on, because I want to talk about something a bit more specific. Now, on um, Sunday, the early kickoff was Leeds against Burnley. And um, the game was fine. Leeds won it. Burnley probably could have got something out of the game. But it, first of all, did you watch the game, either one of you? I did. I don't remember much about it. But I did. Well, to me, it was one of the worst performances I've seen from a referee for a long, long time. And we very rarely talk about referees on the show because it's it feels a bit of a cop out, I think, to sort of talk about refs and blame refs. It's normally now VAR anyway, rather than the ref himself. But it was so, so poor. I think both major decisions in the game he got wrong. Uh, I don't think it was a penalty against uh, Pope, and I don't know why the goal was disallowed at the other end. Um, but it was just, it felt like a throwback to games you saw in the 90s and early 2000s where there was no no real vetting of referees, it didn't, it didn't seem like. And it just felt like, a, in, in a way, quite a nice throwback. But at the same time, completely baffling to me that you can have a you know, multi-billion pound league controlled by someone who might not really know what's going on. Uh, now, Grits, I uh, wanted to ask you if there's a referee in performance that sticks out in your mind from your days... Um, and what can you do about it? What what would happen behind the scenes to a team who feel like they've been wronged by a referee? Can they use it as fuel, or does it often go the other way and they just start to you know, feel like the world's against them? It's really weird. I, I, I looking back, I don't remember. I remember individual moments where I'm like going, "What the hell just happened?" But more interestingly, as a team, when you start to get a bit of a bogey side or a bogey, you look at bogey referees. Also, you start to look at patterns. Imagine when you're like, "Oh, there's a very much a regionalised thing." When you play for teams in the southwest, certainly, um, you go to the northeast, play Darlington or play a team, and then. That like the ref, oh, he's from just down the road. So you immediately have this in your head that he's going to be a homer. And then you're playing Hull. And it's like there's 13,000 people in the stands that are just going to give him stick if he doesn't give them some favour. And yeah, you start yeah, yeah. to, and that gives you this unconscious bias is a buzzword, certainly, for it at the minute. But that's definitely what we thought happened. And then things would happen in the game. And then you would remember those referees. And I never really, when I was young, in my, you know, early days of my career I would never pay note of the referees and by the end of it just like managers doing that I knew every single ref and where they were from what what sort of referee they were and what our history had been um, I got sent I only got sent off once in my career and it was probably what was it for? it was for two yellows and they were pretty uh. I mean they were pretty stamped on yellows the funniest thing being that it was at I think I'd been sent off by 13 minutes or something. Um, I'm pretty sure it was so early on that I went and did the obligatory smash up the changing rooms, the tactics board and that. And then I'd calmed down by the end of half time. And then I'm like, I'll just pick that up again. Oh, the Keith Alexander's going to be two weeks for ages. So then I had to put all the pieces back. Pathetic on the tactics backtrack. Board. Pathetic. An absolute cowardly 
appear. I mean, he would respect me more if the place had been smashed up, I'm sure. But I was just like, <laughs> for God's sake. I was like, I just can't be bothered dealing with this at halftime. So I put everything back. And it was just like, great, come and see me. Come and see me next um, next week. And I was like, all right, go in his office, get fined two weeks' wages, just take it on the chin. But um, <laughs> it was one of those ones where you would just look at that I'd forever. I remember I just would always look out for the linesman that, that flagged for my second booking and the referee and just be like, I can't remember their names now. So, so it is in their heads then. So it is in the players' heads, right? Yeah, but but you would get you would get ones that would make ridiculous. And you're totally right. Back in the nineties, you'd wonder how they were vetted. And a lot of the referees in the Premier League now are ones that were came through the system when I was in League Two. So I know that they're good referees, a lot of them. But you're right, the Burnley one, the way Sean Dyche went off. Because uh, again, I was driving up that day and I was listening on the radio, and that's Sean Dyche. But you just get used to Sean Dyche speaking as if the world is against him and it, no, it's like the true. boy that, yeah. it's a boy that cried var do you know what I mean it's like alright mate <laughs> you know there's only so many times you can do that before we go maybe the ref was right but I didn't see it and now after you said that Mark I'll go and revisit go and have a look uh, I mean the thing is that you're right the Premier League referees of course they get vetted and they get they get tested and it's all very strenuous I understand that and I'm not suggesting for a second that, that any of the refs in the Premier League are in any way bent it's just not happening in this day and age um, but there are refs that are getting fast track through the system who I just don't think are good enough like one of the refs I the worst ever performance I've ever seen from a referee was at Derby County and it was uh, Stuart Atwell a couple of years later you go oh who's the referee in this massive Premier League game oh it's our mate Stuart Atwell is it how the hell has that happened Gareth is there anything that stands out in your memory as being a particularly heinous refereeing performance uh, I always seem to find myself getting very annoyed at Uriah Rennie back in the day <laughs> Uh, I think it was his no-nonsense attitude which came off as quite standoffish. He was a martial artist, though, wasn't he, as well? So he was, he was like, yeah, I think so. So I think he was, like, yeah. not taking any shit off anybody. <laughs> uh, and and uh, with Stuart Atwell, yeah, I, I agree. It was. It felt like he was going to be fast-tracked whatever, and he was the exactly. golden boy, even though, you know, there was that... Was it against Watford, the infamous... The, ghost goal. The goal, yeah, the ghost goal, and at that point, you know, a lot of referees' careers would have been completely derailed, and you know, it felt like the FA or the Premier League just sort of shrugged off. Well, you get that one. We're going to put you in your yeah. young the, the, star. It's the the rule should be: if I know the referee's name and he's not in the Premier League, well, that's it. He shouldn't get any further. I shouldn't know your name. <laughs> Howard Webb was an interesting one because he lived. You get these referees because basically once someone broke down or they couldn't get to the game or something happened so you end up someone would fill in for them and Howard Webb must have lived really near Chesterfield so we ended up doing a few of our games and the marked difference between him and our usual uh, league two also everyone respected him straight up straight off the bat it was our you know yeah, it was like yeah. England's uh, Kalina it was just um, everyone was like Okay, he's probably got that right, and also he had the air of because he was an ex-copper, or he was a, he was still a policeman, but he was then in, in an ambassadorial position because what better than a than a copper that's also World Cup in uh, doing yeah, the World Cup yeah. final, the Champions League final? But I really liked him. I just like the way he spoke to you, and sometimes referees when they would just go, "Do you know what? I didn't see it," uh, uh, you know, and hold their hands up, then you're fine. It's when referees go, "Shut up, get on with it," you're just like, "Hang on a minute." And then, you know, that's yes. why I got booked a lot and for this tent. I have to say, that, that was one of the things. At the end of that Leeds-Burnley game, Sean Dyche was approaching the ref just to say, look, what time can I come into your office to have a word about this? <laughs> and the referee just had his sort of nose in the air, ignoring Sean Dyche, who's five yards away from him. And I just thought, look, grow a pair. talk, yep. Just talk to Dyche. Tell him, 
we can talk later on. Just just address, acknowledge the fact that Sean Dyche is upset and he's talking to you. Don't just literally bury your head in the sand. Not literally, but don't bury your head in the sand. It was just ridiculous. And it, I was so wound up. And I'm neither a Burnley fan or anti-Leeds. It was just one of those things. It really wound me up. Having said that, I do have a soft spot. I don't know if you remember back in the day, sort of ultra-miserable, old-school uh, uh, referee, uh, party pooper Kevin Cooper. <laughs> so so miserable and so like no no go away no don't talk to me um he even had a, his own strip in a then legendary uh 90 minutes a football magazine at the time had his own strip which was uh actually amusingly dour um so highly highly recommended uh investigating the legacy of uh, kevin cooper Listen, Lovely stuff. I, I, as as we are called the whistleblowers, I feel that uh, we would have to qualify that. You know, we're not coming down completely against referees here. I think you know it's a good referee is worth its weight in gold. Should we say that? Yes, and now they've got more help, and they've always needed more help, and I think that's a good thing. It just, it. I mean, the actual the, the fact is that that's the first referee in performance in a long, long time that I've even thought Stank. about. So that shows you how good it is. It used to be every weekend you'd have one, but not anymore. Actually, by the way, and I'll never do this normally, I'm going to plug another podcast. It's called, weirdly, it's called Whistleblower, and it's about NBA referees and how... Um, and there was a big scandal about them uh, not long ago. Really good, worth worth listening to. It's about an eight-part series. Uh, how weird is that? Uh, another show called Whistleblower. It's a lovely way to top and tail it. Lovely way to top and tail it, Mark. Thank you. Right, uh, I think that's all we've got time for this week, isn't it, gents? Yeah. yeah. Spot on. Anything you want to add? Anything in, massively boring away in your head that you want to talk to me about? Look forward to next week. Good to see you next time. So much, so much going on. Uh, Gareth, what's happening for you at the minute? What, what do you want to plug? Uh, I'd like to plug my really uh, impressive uh, progress so far with my giant puzzle on my table. Oh, um, well done. I've just begun uh, a rewatch of Parks and Recreation, which is gleefully brilliant. Um, so that that's a big, uh, you know, the big sort of pre uh, post Christmas, pre New Year action for me. So I'm I'm plugging another show with a very similar title. Uh, you're plugging a very successful show that needs no help whatsoever. Uh, Grits, anything you want to plug? No, just what are you up to, Mark? Are you, I've seen some Football 365, the, the site that never sleeps, by name, by <laughs> Yeah, I'm doing that that show. That show it will never end, I hope. It goes out on, yeah, Monday, Tuesdays and Thursdays. That's still happening. Uh, and also, actually, I'm doing, I'm filling in for Hawksby and Jacobs on TalkSport oh, nice. on the 31st of December and the 1st of January. So if you want to listen to that, uh, listen to me essentially take down what is the best show on radio Um, i will ruin that show within 10 minutes we'll we'll share that from the whistleblower stream so everyone can get get that in their ears top man that'd be great all right well thank you guys for joining me thank you guys at home for listening hope you've enjoyed it we'll be back same time same place next week bye this is a playback media production to listen to all our football podcasts visit playbackmedia.co.uk Sports Social Podcast Network.